everyone. This is Dr. Pamela Brewer welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk and to this edition of Women's Wednesday on Mind Talk. Today I have a very special guest who actually comes to us from, hmm, I guess we could say across the pond. I am very pleased to introduce to you Esther Lawson, who is the author of Wagamater, and Esther is talking to us from London. Esther, Welcome to Mind Talk. Thank you. Esther, you begin chapter one of your book with a, a very interesting sort of description of your beginnings on this planet. You say, I was born on the 12th of May in the borough of Camberwell, southeast London. The day I was born, my destiny was already written out for me. What did you mean by that? Um, well, actually, what I meant by it was that um, right from a tiny age, right up to this present day, I've always had to fight for everything, um, along with my um, counterparts, where life is made so much more easy for them, and I'm afraid to say because of the colour of their skin, them being white, um, people of colour was always put down and always kept um, suppressed as um, not being academically clever and unable to to climb the status um, ladder the same as um, our counterparts. So everything that I have achieved throughout my life has always been through a fight of determination to manage to climb up the ladder where I wanted to be in life. Do you ever get tired of the fight? Yes, I, I am getting very, very tired of the fight. Um, you know, from being born up to the, the, the present day, I am finding it hard to fight. I'm getting tired of fighting. I'm feeling exhausted. But at the end of the day, there is a hidden burning um, desire within my soul that it's something that I must do. I have to continue fighting in able to be able to receive the same equalities uh, as, as everybody else. You, uh, Esther, have written a book, as you heard me say a moment ago, ago entitled Waga Matter. What does that mean? What does the title mean? The title Waga Matter actually comes from painful experiences that I had to endure as a child, um, I used to be bullied through racism, beaten up and all those kinds of things, and used to be name-called. Um, they used to call me Wog, Gollywog. And um, after they'd finished beating me up and causing injury to me where I would be crying, they would then make further taunts. Instead of saying to me, what's the matter, they would then change the word into our Wagga Matter, and that is where the title of my book um, came about. You, early on, again in the book, you, you say we are born into the human race. However, there are no guarantees that you will be accepted. To obtain acceptance is a fight against an automatic classification of color. 
rendering you as a second class to our counterparts. You describe yourself as a woman of color. What, yes. What color? Um, brown. Okay. Your parents are from where? My mother um, is colored of brown skin. She was born in Kenya, um, and her mother um, was French. Um, she was white, and my mother's father, he was black from Ceylonese, um descent. But um, when my mother was born, um, Brit- uh, Kenya was a British colony, so she was born a British subject with an automatic right to, to enter Britain. And tell us about your dad. My dad, he was white. Um, he was from Liverpool. He was actually in the army um, over in Kenya when um, they were in the Mau Mau War. That's how he he met my mother. And what do you know of their, how much do you know and what do you know of their beginnings of, of their meeting and what it was like, life was like for them as an interracial couple? Well, as an interracial couple, um, to be quite honest, um, as I said, my father was in the army and there was a bet on which one of them would be able to take my mother out, basically have a date with her. Of course, he, he won the bet. But as far as the interracial um, couple, he wasn't around very much. And when he was around, he kept himself pretty separate from his mixed-race family, i.e., for example, he never, ever had any photographs taken with my mother. He never had any photographs taken with his um, mixed-race children. So, given what sounds like his clear discomfort with his family, why do you think he bothered to marry? I think because um, of my mother becoming pregnant um, with me. And, And do you have a sense of what your mother's experience was like in the early days of their marriage? Yes, it was pretty horrific. Um, he was a very violent man, very controlling man, um, and he controlled my mother right from the start. Um, she did not want to get married to him, um, and he actually kept her locked in in a hotel and um, did all the arrangements for the marriage to take place, um, and that's that's how it happened. So literally locked in a hotel? Yes, literally locked in a hotel that she could not come out. Um, He even left her in the hotel without food. And the only time that he unlocked the door was to take her to the registrar office um, to be married. And, And what's your sense of the advantage for him to marrying her? Was that going to result in a larger allotment, if you will, from his military service, or was it going to benefit him in any way? No. um, 
from you know what I know of my father and from the information that um, my mother has given to me, um, it was just a moment of madness. Because at the end of the day, when he married her and brought her over to um, England, he then dumped her in England and was gone. So here she was, a newlywed in a new living space with a new child. Yeah, in England, on her own, um, didn't speak fluent English. The only languages that she spoke fluently was French and Swahili. And it was very frightening for her. Of course. Would be frightening for anyone. What about the neighbours? Were the neighbours welcoming? No, the neighbours were not welcoming. Um, my mother is um, a very, very um, meticulous lady who, um, I have to say, has got OCDs with cleaning. So, you know, she really, really does like to keep a very, very clean home uh, and make sure that she pays all her bills on time and make sure that her rent's all paid. But when the neighbours um, actually found out that there was a black lady living in their street, uh, they all got on to the um, landlord who owns the properties and demanded that um, she is removed from um, the street because they don't want to have a black living in their area. And and what part um, of England was this? This was in Camberwell, okay. southeast London. Okay, all right. So as you describe your mom, I mean, she actually sounds like the ideal neighbor. Uh, she was meticulous in the upkeep of her home. She paid her bills on time. I mean, she, you know, she was a, uh, my guess is, a not very outgoing mother of a young child. Ideal neighbor. Mm. Yeah. Except for her color. Yeah. You know, she kept herself to herself, um, you know, didn't cause any problems to anybody, but because of the color of her skin, she had to leave her residence. she had to leave i was about three four months old okay so you really didn't have any awareness of what was going on except that you were now in a different place yes and the different place that she went to your, your dad wasn't there she was a homemaker and a mom how was their money did dad provide money for his family to move um, what happened was um, my mother found out that he was actually in prison um, and he came out of prison and um, came back to the, the family unit where my grandmother, which is his mother, um, actually told him that he'd better get himself back into the army, which um, he did do. And then there was a call for him and his family to report to the army barracks 
in Emsworth in Hampshire. And that's what happened. We all ended up going to the the army barracks in Hampshire. And how were you treated there? How was mom treated? She was um, beaten up. She was raped. Um, there were further pregnancies. I had two sisters after me. Both of those sisters were a result of rape. Um, and then... Um, a, a rape by your dad? Yes. Okay. So your mom True. must have been terrified. Yes. She was absolutely terrified. Um, and even up till today... Um, the effects of what she actually went through via my father because of his alcoholism and um, his um, violent rages, um, you know, has has made her very frightened today. Any raised voices or anything like that, and she will go at to into panic stations. Of course. You talk about a time... Um April 60, April of 1963, your sister had been born, your mom was pregnant again, your dad assaulted your mom again, um, and then a doctor visited with your mom. What, what was that about? Was that about the pregnancy or something else? Um, I'm not quite sure what part you're, you're talking about there. Um, in 1963, yes, my sister was born, uh, then in 1964, another sister was born. Both of these were um, um, out of rape. Uh, we then He then ended up being in prison again, where the army officials uh, came to speak to my mother and told her that, that you know, she, she has to leave the, the army quarters because Private Lawson is out of it. But they were very good to my mother and us, but very kind and sympathetic of the situation that she was placed in. Um, they did manage to, to find um, a home for us to move into, which was a prefabricated bungalow that had been specially erected for homeless families. And the um, army actually took us to that accommodation via their army vehicles for us to move into whilst um, my father was yet again um, in prison. What was he going to prison for? Was it all the same issue or different issues? It was from, he was a known criminal um, and um, he went into prison for being caught for robbery with firearms. Okay, so, I mean, clearly a violent man outside of the home as well as inside of the home. Yes. Now, you grew up in a household where when your dad was around, it sounds like he um, had a significant uh, alcohol issue. And, and, you know, there's so much literature about children who have grown up in houses where there have been alcoholic caregivers. Did you yourself ever turn to alcohol? No, not really. Um, you know, I would um, have a drink the same as, as anybody else. But the only um, effect that I did notice was um, when I was married 
and um, my husband wasn't a drinker, but if he'd gone out for the evening to go and play darts or something like that, and he would have, you know, a couple of um, beers, and he would come home, I would automatically smell the alcohol on his breath, and that would then put me into absolute panic-stricken mode. Mm. Did he know what was going on, your husband? Um, he knew some of it, but to be absolutely honest with you, at the time when I was experiencing um, going into panic at the, the smell of breath coming, um, of alcohol coming from his, his breath, I'd, I'd, I'd forgotten uh-huh. about... Um, I, couldn't, I didn't make any connection between the smell of the alcohol and, and my father. For some reason, my mind uh, blocked it out. So it was conf- I found it quite confusing, to be honest. Well, you know, it makes sense that given the early and consistent trauma that you experienced, that as a protective matter, you would block out some of those memories. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What you grew up when you saw your dad, he was often drunk. He was often beating your mom. Your mom often showed the bruises of that violence. What's your sense of how that impacted you as a little one, particularly a girl growing up in that kind of environment? Well, from the child's point of view, um, it was frightening, it was upsetting, but um, the amazing thing um, to do with the mind, the mind actually protects that child, believe it or not, because she sees, she witnesses and experiences all this violence that is being projected from the father to the mother, and at that moment in time, yes, um, I'm being affected, I'm frightened, I'm scared. But after a few days, when everything's calmed down and mum and dad are back to talking to each other, that memory is put to the back of the mind and you don't think any more about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. The mind is an extraordinary thing and will often do extraordinary things to protect um, its owner, if you will. You know, it's interesting. By the age of seven, you really had lived a lifetime. You had seen violence. You'd seen alcoholism. You'd seen crime. You had moved several places. I would think by the age of seven, you were pretty exhausted emotionally. Yes. But, again, going back to the mind, going through all of those things, the mind stores all of that and puts it somewhere or out of place, and then to come out later in your life when the mind um, believes that you are able to cope and deal with and analyse the, the, these, these memories that have been stored in, in that special place. Absolutely so. With the bullying that you experienced as you were growing up and going to school, did you tell anyone? The only people that I told, well, uh, let me just um, stop there. Of course, you know, I would tell the teachers and all those kind of things, but it it really didn't matter 
what was done to me, what was said to me, um, because the teachers were all racist themselves. And as far as they're concerned, um, and it's a horrible thing to have to say, but at the end of the day, the facts are the facts, and this is what happened. I was that insignificant that they did not take on board what was what was happening to me. It was irrelevant. Esther, it's an extraordinary and unfortunately not that uncommon experience, although I am so appreciative, and I know our listeners are, of your willingness to share your story. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we will continue with the conversation about Waga Matter, the story of Esther Lawson. Don't go away. Your sense of the sort of the views on race by the time you had reached adolescence, early adolescence, had things changed? Had they gotten better? Had they gotten worse? Had they stayed the same? Um, well, as far as racism goes, with um, the, the country that, that I live in, it never went. Okay. And that's why I, I um, said at the beginning of my book that I believe that, that I was born to fight because I had to fight for everything. Um, even going into my, my senior school, um, you know, um, I was um, top of the class for two years. Um, I'd take my exams and pass my exams. And then... Um, I would be accused of I cheated. I've looked at someone else's papers, uh, and that's why I've got top marks. And of course, you know, hearing those sort of words when I've worked so hard um, to um, achieve um, what I achieved through um, education, that's when I decided to just shut down and not show them my um, academic. Uh, abilities, even though I was learning inside, on the outside, I just didn't bother because it wasn't worth it anymore. Well, you yeah. were actually arrested on 56 charges at eight years old. I mean, it's just yes. hard to comprehend. It's very hard, hard to comprehend. Um, and to be quite honest, I'm still flabbergasted about it now. And to be quite honest, it, it just doesn't feel real but it was real and yes they placed me in court um and at the end of the day the um age of um to be responsible for criminal activity is 10 years old they actually had me in court before i even got to 10 years old i did not understand what the court was about all I knew was that I was sitting on this big chair in front of the judges and um, feeling very, very bored. You had no idea. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of the charges. Stole apples, 
um, stole sweets from the counter, stole candy floss from confectioner's stall. I mean, the charges, well, the whole thing is, is, is ludicrous. No, and um, also on that list, it hasn't got um, on a specific day this was stolen. It's generalised from, say, for argument's sake, the 1st of March to the end of March uh, these items were stole, stolen. Sorry. Yeah, I'm looking at one right now that actually says between the 1st and the 31st of August, you uh, were accused of removing a purse from the pocket um, that was hanging in a room at Sports Field. Somewhere yes. between the month of August, you took a purse, according to them. Yes. Well, of course I didn't. And, um, you know... It, I would like to know exactly, you know, why could they not specify the date? If something was stolen, right. then they would have the information that a purse was stolen on that day at that time. But, you know, most of those 56 charges are quite generalised. And some of those um, charges. I was actually in a children's home, so there's no way that I could have even done that. Yeah, and, and I'm looking at another one. Between October and December, you stole a fruit, piece of fruit. Don't From look. October until December? Right, right. Oh, there we go. That, that just goes to show um, what it was like um, at, at that time. In this day and age, there no way would the the police be able to say you stole this between such and such and such and such. There has to be a specific date, right? And a specific item. This just says fruit. Yeah, I don't understand it. I I I really don't. Now, what All happened? I know is that. Um, I was always targeted because I was the person of colour. I was the wog. Now, the the white children you were around and the white adults had issues yeah. with you. What about the black children uh, or the mixed race children? Were there any difficulties there? Well, to be quite honest, um, the area that, that I lived in, there wasn't really that many mixed-race children. Okay. There were black children that were with um, adopted white parents, but the area that I actually lived in, we were the only mixed-race. And sounds like they did everything they could to make you as uncomfortable as possible. Yes, I was targeted. Esther, I yeah. have to thank you so much for your time today. Is there a website for the book? Is there a way, a way that folks can follow your work? Yes, so I actually have my own page on Facebook called Wogamata. And I have said to, um, you know, the, the public in, in England, you know, get on the page. Talk about it. If you want to talk about it, I'm here. I'll talk to you. I'll listen to you. But, you know, and talking about it does help people that have had all these ex painful experiences bottled up in, inside. And, and the best therapy is to talk about it.
Absolutely. So that wet that the Facebook page is W O G A M A T T E R. Yes. Again, Esther, I have to thank you so much for joining us today, and I trust that you will let us know when your next two books and more come out. I will do. Thank you so much, Pamela, for for having me on the show. It has absolutely been a powerful and delightful conversation. Folks, I want to thank you, too, for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a licensed medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. You can and listen on demand by going to mynd.talk.org or you can download the MindTalk app from the iTunes store or from Google Play. I'd love to know where in the world you are listening to MindTalk, so send me an email to Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A, at mindtalk.org. Let me know where you are listening to MindTalk and any comments or questions you may have about any of the conversations that you listen to here on Mind Talk. Again, that's P A M E L A at M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. And remember always if it's unacceptable, then that's what it is unacceptable. Thank you.